Welcome to this podcast from Harvest Community Church of Huntersville, North Carolina, where our vision is to make disciples who make disciples. I'm your host, Liz Stefanini. Prayer can be one of the hardest things we do, but it also can be one of the most rewarding things as part of our lives with God. Now, my hope for these 40 days of prayer that we're experiencing here at Harvest is that each week as we look at a characteristic of God, an attribute of God, it really helps us understand Him and helps shape our prayers, encouraging and equipping us to pray. Now, before we look at the attribute for today, let's look back and think back for a minute about where we've been so far. The first week we looked at God is gracious from Hebrews chapter 4. Uh, And this leads us to come boldly before him in prayer. And then we looked at the fact that God is immutable. That means he never changes. This leads us to call on him in distress. That was Psalm 102. Last week in Psalm 139, we learned that God was omniscient and omnipresent, all-knowing and everywhere present. And this leads us to ask him to search and cleanse us, to deal with the evil in the world, but also the evil in us. Everything about God can help shape our prayers. Today, we're going to focus on the fact that God is wise. And because God is wise, this leads us to take comfort in his wisdom and to ask him for wisdom. Our passage today is Romans 16. 25 to 27. Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, let me set the stage uh, for this. The context of Romans 16, 25 to 27, is that it concludes the letter uh, of Romans with a doxology that gives glory to God. Now, it is this doxology is a mouthful. It's a long doxology. There's a lot of content here. But it's designed to give praise and glory and honor to God. The fact that God is wise, that is what we're honing in on today. God is wise. Now, first to contrast. Futures Magazine did an article in which journalist Laura Lee cataloged some of the most audacious predictions in history. For example, in AD 100, the Roman Emperor Julius Sextus Frontinus said, Inventions have long since reached their limit. I see no further developments. In 1895, one of Albert Einstein's teachers said to his father about Albert, it doesn't matter what he does, he'll never amount to anything. In 1949, scientist John von Neumann, who worked on the Manhattan Project, said, It would appear we've reached the limits of what is possible with computer technology. 1949. In 1954, Secretary of State 
John Foster Dole said, the Japanese don't make anything that people in the United States would want. And in 1995, Bob Metcalf, the editor of InfoWorld, said, I predict the Internet will go spectacularly supernova and in 1996, catastrophically collapse. Well, in contrast to the smartest of human beings whose knowledge and wisdom are limited, God has all knowledge, as we learned last week, but he also has all wisdom. And Paul lays that out at the conclusion of Romans to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Now, let's define God's wisdom here at the outset. Wayne Grudem gives a really good, simple definition for us. God always chooses the best goals and the best means towards those goals. God always chooses the best goals and the best means to those goals. Now, where does this wise God demonstrate his wisdom? Well, there are many places, but there are at least three places we're going to look at in in leading us into this passage, giving us some background and then culminating in this passage. First of all, there's wisdom in creation. Psalm 104, 24. How many are your works, Lord? In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Jeremiah the prophet said in 10, 11, and 12, uh, he was told, tell them this. These gods who did not make the heavens and the earth will perish from the earth and from under the heavens, but God made the earth by his power. He founded the world by his wisdom and stretched out the heavens by his understanding. There is wisdom in the way God created the world. There's also wisdom in the church. A great passage is found in Ephesians chapter 3. Paul wrote this also, even as he wrote Romans. And he said, although I'm less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Rulers and authority are hostile spiritual powers. There is a real spiritual world all around us. As Americans, we tend to live in the here and now, and we think primarily about the physical material universe, food, jobs, schools, people, etc. But there's, there's a spiritual battle going on between good and evil, between God and evil. Now watch how this works. Paul recognizes that. He notes that. And he and others shared the gospel that Jesus died for our sins. He was buried and he rose from the dead on the third day to bring salvation to us. People received this message. They were transformed. And people who were very different from each other. In fact, people who were not only different from each other, but opposed to each other, came together in one body, the church. They were united. They were changed. They were changing. And this shows how incredibly wise God is. 
he showed this wisdom through the church to the powers in the spiritual realm. Jesus Christ conquered sin, death, hell, and the grave. And God is building a place, a home where he can live in people. That's what the church is. It's so awesome that we in the church are on the winning side. Sometimes it seems in this crazy world, broken world, that God not, is not winning, but he is. He's still changing lives. He's still building his church. He's still showing his wisdom to all the demons and forces that are out there. Now, back then, this related specifically to a division between Jewish people and Gentile people. The Jews and Gentiles did not get along at all, and there was a lot of animosity between them. They were two very different people. And in Christ, watch what happens. <laughs> Through the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, God created the church. And now, rather than, if I go back a slide, rather than it being Jew and Gentile separated by a wall, now Jewish and Gentile believers in Christ are one. It is one church. And that shows us how wise God is. It shows the spiritual rulers and authorities how wise God is. Now, in our expression of the church, we're Harvest Community Church, we're just one small expression compared to all over the world, all the many expressions of that are all a part of the one body of Christ, all of those who uh, truly know and honor Jesus Christ and believe in him. In our expression of it, Harvest, I'm thankful that we have diversity. We have a lot of people that are different from each other. And I think in that, God is displaying his wisdom. You know, every week during the 40 days of prayer, we do a lot of things. One of the neat things I think we do is we've created a journal um, and there's a devotion or a scripture uh, Bible study every day and there's suggested prayers and there are people and ministry to pray for. And so each week we pray for about 25 different uh, family units, uh, individuals, couples, families in, in our church body. And we separate those out. Um, um, and so also um, on Sunday uh, that relates to their particular week, we pray for those people in all of our services, all three of our services. So I was thinking about this as I was working on the sermon. I was thinking about the people that we're praying for just this week. Uh, and I just took a quick look back at the book and reminded myself and uh here are just six of them. Uh, but think about the diversity that's represented just, just from this week, this one little small subset of our congregation. And this is, you know, just a few of the people we're praying for this week. Uh, you have uh, the Paganurans there who are originally from the Philippines and thinking about origin of country here. Uh, Jeannie Meehan uh, going across the top of the screen from the U.S. Uh, Naomi uh, Mahoka and her family, um, uh, uh, she's originally from Tanzania. And then on the bottom, uh, moving left to right, uh, there are the Murphys from South Africa, Jeanette McKenzie from Jamaica, and Francois and Amiente Payen from Haiti. <laughs> How does God show his wisdom in and through the church? Uh, it depends on something much more fundamental. It depends on his wise plan in salvation history that centers in a person. And this is where we hone in 
on our real focus for today. It is wisdom in the gospel of Jesus. The church doesn't, doesn't just automatically demonstrate God's wisdom because it's an organization. It's because of a person. It's because of Jesus. It's because of his gospel. And his gospel brings uh, people who were separated from God and separated from each other together in one. And that shows his wisdom. But the gospel of Jesus shows his wisdom. Uh, it was foretold. It was predicted. And then we come into Matthew uh, when Jesus is uh, teaching. In fact, Matthew 13, when Jesus had finished these parables, he moved on from there. Coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they ask. They saw wisdom in Jesus. And Jesus, of course, demonstrated the wisdom of God. But the wisdom of God was fully demonstrated in a unique place. Let me look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Paul writes, The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for, look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Oh, Christ who is the heart of the gospel. Sometimes people say gospel and don't think about Jesus Christ as much. We, they go together. Christ is the heart of the gospel, and there is wisdom in the gospel of Jesus. This passage that we're looking at today shows us at least three ways how God showed his wisdom in the gospel. And Paul just you know, almost blurts this out, it seems, at the, at the end of his book of Romans. And let's take a, a look there. Three, three, three ways how God shows his wisdom in the gospel. First of all, it is about Jesus Christ. Now, to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ. That word establish there means to strengthen, make firm, to fix or to set up. And in the book of Acts, it was used of Paul and his fellow missionaries when they revisited the churches they had planted in order to establish or strengthen them. In other places, Paul uses the words, uh, uses the word of, of uh, where individual Christians, uh, making individual Christians firm and stable and strong. Earlier, for example, in Romans chapter 1, verse 11, he was explaining to them why he wanted to come see them. And he, he said, I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. Same word, original word is established. If you are a Christian, God did not save you just so that you would go to heaven. Otherwise, why wouldn't you go immediately? I think he kept us here so that we can communicate to others how they can be right with God as well. And also that, so that God can establish us so that we can grow to become more like Christ, even in this life. 
Are you saved but still struggling with your temper today? With lust? With pride? With a desire to be more of what God wants you to be in any area? If so, know that God is able to establish you. That's what Paul is praising him for here. He has the power. He is able to establish you. And what does he use? Look again there at verse 25. In accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ. Now, gospel in the original language just simply meant good news. It was applied by secular sources to Caesar Augustus, whom they believed was a God and the Savior of the world. And they said his one writing said that his birthday marked for the world the beginning of good tidings through the his coming. The Apostle Paul took that item. He took that term that we translate gospel and he recast it to refer to the good news that comes through the real Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. That is the true gospel. So that's the first way God showed his wisdom in the gospel. It is about Jesus Christ. Secondly, it is proclaimed in the Old Testament. The gospel was proclaimed in the Old Testament. Look how he develops this. In keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God. The revelation of the mystery. Now, mystery in the New Testament does not mean, as you first might think when you first hear it in English, something mysterious. It refers to something that was hidden at one time, but now it's made known. It was hidden. It was The mystery was hidden in the past. For long ages it was passed through the Old Testament era, of course. Uh, people in the Old Testament did not fully understand the gospel that was coming. It was hidden in the mind of God. No human could have guessed that it would have happened exactly the way it did. And also, they, they couldn't fully experience it. They could experience the grace of God, but they couldn't fully experience the full grace of the gospel until Jesus came and lived and died. Now, this is very interesting. Notice what comes next. Verse 26. Okay, you would think it's now revealed. You would think he might say now it's revealed in the New Testament. <laughs> It was hidden in the Old Testament, and now it's revealed. Well, no, he says it's now made known. It's now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings. So even though it was hidden in the Old Testament, it was there in some form. There was some nugget of it that was there. One of my favorite stories that illustrates this is after Jesus had risen from the dead, he walked uh, on the road to Emmaus with a couple of disciples, and they were uh, distressed because Jesus had died and uh, the events of the crucifixion. And they were talking about how disappointed they were. And, and as they talked and walked along, Jesus pointed back to Moses, the law, <laughs> and the prophets and explained to them what the Old Testament was saying about them or about him. And then their eyes were opened. <laughs> now, Closely related to this is the third way that God showed his wisdom in the gospel. It reveals the mystery of the conversion of the Gentiles. The verse continues, verse 26 continues, so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith. Before the coming Christ, it was not crystal clear how the Gentiles would be 
part of the people of God. Now, there were Old Testament texts that clearly pointed to the blessings that would come to Gentiles. Uh, the Abrahamic covenant, Genesis chapter 12, when God promised uh, that he would bless Abraham and through Abraham, all nations would be blessed. Isaiah 45 and 60 uh, speak about the nations streaming into Jerusalem uh, to worship God. But the equal footing of Gentiles with Jews in the body of Christ was not clearly spelled out. That was the mystery. That's what was hidden for a long time, but it's now revealed clearly. The good news of this gospel is for all nations, so that all the Gentiles can come to the obedience that, that comes from faith. Both Jewish and Gentile believers are on equal footing. We're on equal footing as sinful people in need of salvation, in need of Christ, but we're also on equal footing once we open our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ that was the message that God used Paul to proclaim. And it does indeed put a huge spotlight on the wisdom of God. Are, are you listening to this today? Are you watching today? And maybe all of this is new to you or you just you're coming to a newer understanding that God is so wise that it centers on the crucifixion of Jesus. If that's the case, if you've, if you've known about him, but not really accepted him as your Lord and Savior and believe that he's taken care of your sin, then today's a great day to open your heart to him. As Paul reflected on all the great things that God had inspired him uh, to write in the letter of Romans, no wonder he concluded with these simple yet powerful words to the only wise God, be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. All of this about the gospel, about the centering of it in Christ, about the mystery, how it was partially revealed, but partially hidden. And now it's coming true. And now it brings diverse people together. To the only wise God. God is wise. He's the one that deserves glory. God is wise in justification, which is giving sinful people a new standing of being right with himself. That's Romans 1 to 4. God is wise in sanctification, which is the way he sets us apart for himself. That's Romans 5 to 8. God is wise in the course of human history. That's Romans 9 through 11, which a section which, by the way, concluded with another powerful doxology that began with the words, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom of uh, the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. To him be glory forever, forever. That's how long. It's forever. You know, earthly accolades come and go. Power and glory fade with time. If you're a sports fan, your team might win a championship one year and you'll be on the top of the world. Maybe they'll have a good run for several years, but eventually the cycle will find them at the middle of the pack or worse. Uh, awards you win at school or on the job are great in the moment, but temporary. Here in America this week, we've inaugurated a new president. That and it came. That inauguration always comes with a lot of pomp and circumstance. Uh, that person is really probably, I assume, the most powerful human being in the world right now. They have the world. Uh, in their hands, it seems. Bands play, 
Uh, People cheer, soldiers salute, members of the Senate and House of both parties uh, give them gifts. People sing and pray and celebrate. But every president's term comes to an end by death, by resignation, by being voted out. And years later, and many years later, and many years later, uh, that person who was at the top of the world will just be another name in the history books along with others and uh, in many ways forgotten. What, What a contrast that is with Jesus Christ. He lived more than 2,000 years ago. And though he was rejected in large measure while he was on the earth, while he, while he uh, never attained human power or glory, because he was God in the flesh, he died for our sins, he was buried, he rose from the grave, and there was power and glory in his life, in his resurrection, in his ministry, and it's still there today. More than 2,000 years later, Paul, well, it wasn't 2,000 years when Paul said it. Uh, Paul was in the first century, and he said to the only wise God, be glory forever. And now more than 2,000 years later, we join Paul, and we say to the only wise God, be glory forever. Does the fact that God is wise impact us today? Oh, yes, it does. It leads us. uh, It leads us to take comfort in his wisdom and to ask him for wisdom. So let's think about taking comfort in his wisdom. Think about the verses uh, in Romans 8, 28 and 29. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. God is working a plan. He's weaving a plan. And he's taking everything that happens. And for those that love him and are called in court his purpose, he is working his purposes out. And that main purpose is to... Conform us to the image of Jesus. And that brings us to James. James chapter 1. James wrote, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Now, remember our definition of wisdom that we started with? When we talked about God's wisdom, God always chooses the best goals and the best means to those goals. That means we look at our lives sometimes and we know God's sovereign and in control and we don't really understand always what's happening. We don't understand what's happening in our world. We may not understand what's happening in our bodies, in our families, in our work. But we know that God is wise. And God always chooses the best goals and the best means toward those goals. That's what Romans 8 and James 1 are talking about. So let's add to the definition of wisdom. Let's think about our wisdom. So what does it mean for us to have wisdom? Uh, Wisdom is basically skill 
in living a life pleasing to God, as Grudem says. Uh, Another way to put it is it's truth that is acted on. It's not just an accumulation of knowledge. It's gaining the truth and then having the skill and ability to act on it and live in a way that pleases God. And so that leads us to the second part of our response. Ask God for wisdom. Now, before we look at the rest of that passage in James that tell us to ask God for wisdom, let me note, of course, that the fundamental way we gain wisdom is as we read and obey the Word of God. That great repository that God left us to give us wisdom. Proverbs 19, 7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. That is the ongoing, regular way of downloading God's wisdom into our hearts and minds. And as we do that, our minds are transformed and we're able to do God's will, um, as Romans 12, 1 and 2 talk about. But there are specific instances when we need unique wisdom for a life circumstance. And it often comes when we're experiencing a trial. So James, if we go back into the James passage, he's talking about these trials and they come into our lives and God uh, is using them to, to make us mature. And he says, in that very context, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Again, remember, wisdom is not head knowledge, but the God-given ability to make wise decisions in difficult circumstances. And there could be many. You might be facing a difficult circumstance at work, and you need God's wisdom. As a parent, you might be facing a challenging time with your children. Maybe they're very young or maybe they're becoming teenagers or maybe they're adult children and you just need wisdom in that. Maybe you need wisdom in your marriage, wisdom in your in, in your life decisions, maybe wisdom during this pandemic. Who knows? You, you need wisdom. And James says, if you lack wisdom, especially in difficult circumstances, then ask God, ask God. Prayer is always massively important for us. But in trials, prayer is indispensable. Ask God for wisdom. Now, that doesn't mean that you're asking or expecting to get a reason from him about why you're going through that trial, about why this is happening. But you're asking for God's perspective on it. And for him to empower you to respond to that trial in a way that honors him. And that sets the stage for endurance to complete its work in you. God is wise. <laughs> this leads us to take comfort in his wisdom and to ask for wisdom. In his book, The Pressure's Off, psychologist Larry Crabb used a story from his childhood. He said one Saturday afternoon, he decided that he was a big boy now and he could use the bathroom without anybody's help. So he climbed the stairs, he closed and locked the door behind him. And for the next few minutes, he felt very self-sufficient. And then it was time to leave, but he couldn't unlock the door. 
He tried. He, listen to his words. I tried with every ounce of my three-year-old strength, but I couldn't do it. I panicked. I felt again like a very little boy as the thought went through my head. I might spend the rest of my life in this bathroom. My parents and likely the neighbors heard my desperate scream. Are you okay? Mother shouted. Did you fall? Have you hit your head? I can't unlock the door, I yelled. Get me out of here. <laughs> I wasn't aware of it then, but Dad raced down the stairs, ran out to the garage to find the ladder, and leaned it against the side of the house just beneath the bathroom window. With adult strength, he pried it open, then climbed into my prison, walked past me, and with that same strength, turned the lock and opened the door. Thanks, Dad, I said, and ran out to play. And then Crab says, that's how I thought the Christian life was supposed to work. When I get stuck in a tight place, I should do all I can to free myself. And when I can't, I should pray. And then God shows up. He hears my cry. Get me out of here. I want to play. And he unlocks the doors to the blessings I desire. Sometimes he does. But now, no longer three years old and approaching 60, I'm realizing the Christian life doesn't work that way. And I wonder, are any of us content with God? Do we even like him when he doesn't open the door? We most won't open when a marriage doesn't heal, when rebellious kids still rebel, when friends betray, when financial reverses threaten our comfortable way of life, when the prospect of terrorism looms, when ministries die. God has climbed through the small window in my dark room, but he doesn't walk by me to turn the lock that I couldn't budge. Instead, he sits down on the bathroom floor and says, come sit with me. He seems to think that climbing into the room to be with me matters more than letting me out to play. I don't always see it that way. Get me out of here, I scream. If you love me, unlock the door. Crab concludes by saying, dear friend, the choice is ours. Either we can keep asking him to give us what we think will make us happy to escape our dark room. Or we can accept his invitation to sit with him. For now, perhaps in darkness and to seize the opportunity to know him better and represent him well in this difficult world. Yes, God is wise. This leads us to take comfort in his wisdom. And to ask him for wisdom. Do you need wisdom? Ask God, ask God, ask God for that wisdom. Oh, Lord Jesus. Thank you that you are the fountain and the source of all our wisdom. We praise you for what you accomplished on the cross. And we praise you that you offer us wisdom for life. We need it. We turn to you. and We ask you to help us and to help us pray in Jesus name. Amen. Well, we have discussion questions that we hope you'll use. Uh, we also have uh, some prayer events that are coming up uh, next week, a prayer walk, uh, especially on, on Monday night at a school that we're ministering to, Croft Community, along with a couple other churches. And then on Thursday, there'll be a virtual prayer uh, meeting for 30 minutes at 7.30 a.m. Hope you can join those. And, and this week, we're praying for, uh, again, a certain section, and we'll do that. Uh, on Sunday as well. God bless you. Thanks again for joining us today from Harvest Community Church. 
This podcast is also available on our website, harvestcharlotte.com. Please go there if you want to send a question or comment, learn more about our ministries, or find out how you can donate to support the podcast.